Everyone else, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 18. And then uh, go ahead and stand up. We'll read this together. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 17. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today. Spirit, that you would move in our hearts, that you would convict where we need to be convicted, that you would change us where we need to be changed, that you would inspire and encourage and fill us where we need to be filled, that you would do your work, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name, God. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So at the beginning of the passage here, we have Paul, um, who has just left Athens and now is is uh, coming to Corinth. Uh, you know, again, uh, as we've been going through here, we, we keep seeing where Paul is going to these cities that eventually we have these letters uh, later on in the New Testament from him to those cities. Right. Um, this will be a longer homework assignment if you want it. In previous passages, we said, hey, go home and read this. Right. Read this uh, letter that he wrote to this city. Uh, you got two long letters, but man, go for it uh, just to kind of see the follow up right with with Paul uh, to, to Corinth afterwards. But Paul arrives in Corinth and it says he found a Jew named Aquila and uh, a native of Pontus recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Now, at this point, Paul meets for the first time this husband and wife uh, team that become very, very close friends of Paul. In fact, uh, later on in ministry, and we, we see this in, in Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, um, Aquila and Priscilla actually end up 
risking their lives for Paul. It says in, in Romans 16, verses 3 and 4, it says, Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. And so this relationship from here on out kind of develops between Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, and they become friends and ministry partners, really, uh, to the point of eventually uh, the two of them risk their life for Paul um, in, in ministry together. And so this is kind of where that, that, that ministry um, or that friendship, I should say, begins together between them. Uh, verse uh, 2, the end of it, it says, because what, the reason they were there is because Claudius who, was, Claudius, who was emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Uh, that took place in AD 49. Uh, and and uh, from from historical records, it looks like uh, because of an uprising uh, we've seen right so far in Acts as, as Paul goes into the different synagogues, what happens, right? Uh, he's teaching this message of, of Jesus, who is the fulfillment of everything that they're teaching in the synagogue. Um, and, and these uprisings take place sometimes. Well, that seems to be what happened um, and, and, and was the cause of, of all these Jews being kicked out of Rome, right? And that happened in AD 49. But uh, going on in the passage, in verse 3, it says, Because he was the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Probably um, Paul's looking for work. He's, he's by himself now. Uh, uh, Silas and Timothy will meet up with him later on, but he's alone. He's by himself, and he's probably looking for work at this point um, to, to, to pay the bills. We know from later on in, in uh, his letters that he did that because he didn't want to be a burden to the people there. And so he worked as a tent maker and, and, and worked and, and, and paid for his own expenses so that he could minister to them and there would be no anything to uh, offend them or to, um, to get in the way of the gospel being preached to them. And so he hooks up with uh, Aquila, who is also a tent maker, and, and that works out great, and they begin to work together. And uh, verse 4, it says, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now we see this right a lot with Paul. Uh, that word uh, reason is is more than just going and preaching, going and teaching. It's a it's a conversation. It's a discussion that is that is happening. He's preaching and he's teaching, but there's also some questions that are happening back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. There's one message, right? There's one centered message that's coming from Paul, but in that there's discussion that's happening. He's reasoning with them, trying to help them to see that this. Jesus, uh, who, who died on a cross and who rose again, is in fact the Christ, is in fact the Messiah who their teaching is still to come. He has already come and he's fulfilled all of these promises that were made of this Messiah. And so he's reasoning with them. Uh, but his message is, 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 is focused, it's centered. In fact, he tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, go ahead and turn um, to the right, just a couple of books to the right in your Bible, to 1 Corinthians. When he writes the letters uh, to the to the church in Corinth following this uh, he he looks back on this time in, in chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 and it says and I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified and i was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power 
Paul says, listen, when I came to you um, back in Acts 18, right? Uh, when I came to you, I didn't come with these lofty speeches. I didn't come with this trying to come up with this great wisdom. I wasn't trying to impress you with these, these big words or these, these high thoughts. Or I came with one thought, Jesus Christ. In fact, he says, I decided, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says again in verse 4, my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom. I wasn't just trying to impress you. I wasn't just trying to, to get a crowd together. I wanted you to know Christ. I wanted you to see. And in fact, he says in, in, in 4, he says, by demonstration of the spirit and power. I wanted you to see the truth that is in Christ, the truth that is through Christ. I wanted you to see that. And so I didn't come to impress you. I didn't come to, to make big speeches. I came that you might know Christ. And I decided in coming to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. How good would that be for us? I mean, if we if we as followers of Christ would have that main mindset and just say, I have decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. That's it. It didn't mean that Paul didn't work, right? He worked. He was a tent maker. He did. He had a job. But in tent making, he decided to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. It didn't mean he didn't work. He did a good job, probably at working. But in the mindset of that is, I, I don't want to know anything. I don't want to be directed by anything. I don't want to be consumed by anything. I don't want to be misled by anything. I don't want to be persuaded by anything except for Christ. I want Christ. I want to know him, and I want to teach him. I want to talk about him. I want to leak him all over the place. I just want rivers of Jesus coming out all over everybody that I come in contact with. I want Jesus. And he has this mindset as he goes to Corinth so that it's not just coming up with these creative sermons. It's not just coming up with, I just want to tell you about Jesus. I want you to see and, and, and really see through the dem demonstration of the Spirit that this Jesus is the Christ. And he was crucified for a purpose, your sins. Can you imagine if that was our mindset? If that's why we did the things that we do, if that was our mindset in our relationships and in, in, in our everything, it's just we were just consumed with, you know what, I've decided this, Lord. I don't know how it's going to play out yet, but Lord, I've decided this, to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. That's, that's, that's what I want to drive me in all my decisions, whether it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about buying a house, Christ and him crucified that's that's what i want to drive me is that gonna is it gonna help it or gonna hurt it i'm gonna i'm i'm, I'm thinking about this job christ and him crucified is it gonna help it or is it gonna hurt it i want to be consumed with christ and him crucified that's paul that's paul and obviously being a tent maker didn't take away from that right it didn't hurt that and so we can't look at that and say it was divided his purpose was the same he didn't have to separate tent making from being Christ-like. He didn't have to separate tent making from, from being consumed with who Christ was and demonstrating that uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit in everything that he did. He didn't have to separate the two. It worked together for him where in everything he did, this is what I want to know, Christ and him crucified. He goes on in, in uh, Acts chapter 18 in uh, verse 5, it says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. So at this point, Silas and Timothy uh, meet back up with Paul. 
And it says that when they meet back up with him, he was occupied with the word, the scriptures, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And so using the scriptures and knowing the scriptures and teaching the scriptures to show them, listen, look, pay attention. Let God open your eyes and open your heart to see that this one, this one that you're talking so much about, it's Christ. He's fulfilled all of it. And just look and see it's Christ, it's Christ. And so he's consumed with this. His time is occupied with that. Verse 6 goes on and says, um, And when they opposed, when they opposed the Jews um, that he's speaking to in the synagogue, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, something interesting happens here, right? Um, you got the people in the synagogue and they... Um, they revile him. They oppose him. They don't accept the message. And, and in fact, they go completely against it. And, and, and when they do this, he does something interesting. And it's, it's symbolic. In that Jewish culture, uh, they would do something. They would shake their garments out. Okay, And, and really, it was often done when, when Jewish people would go into a, um, a Gentile city, or especially if they were to go into a Gentile home, when they would leave, they would literally shake out their garments. And it was a picture of I don't even want Gentile dirt to stick to my clothing and be brought back to my Jewish place. I, I want it off of me. I don't want any of it on me. And so it's this picture of just, I'm totally refusing you, okay? Now imagine what that must have been like or looked like for Paul, one of their own, uh, to do that to the Jewish people in the synagogue as he leaves. And he just shakes it out and says, your blood be on you and, and I... I'm not going to have any part of it. And he says those those things to them, which which have purpose too. the first thing he says is um, your blood be on your own heads. Now, obviously, with this symbolic act, they're probably already a little ticked off um, at what Paul's done. But but what he's saying here, your blood be on your own heads. It comes from a passage in Ezekiel chapter 33. And I want you to turn back uh, to Ezekiel chapter 33. Uh, If you're not familiar with where it is, like. Go to the middle of your Bible and flip to the right. It's a really big book. You can't miss it, okay? Um, if you picked up a Bible on the way in, it's, it should be page 720. Ezekiel chapter 33. This is a great, great passage from Ezekiel and so good for us today, okay? Ezekiel chapter 33. We're going to look at uh, verses 2 through 6. the Lord speaking to son of man speak to your people and say to them if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away his blood shall be upon his own head there's the connection okay He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon his own or upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. We'll go on in just a second. The picture is this. Okay, you got a city. You got a watchman who's up above. He's looking out outside of the city all around, seeing what might be coming, uh, what might want to attack the city. And this watchman's job is just that. Watch, watch and don't just watch. Tell. 
If you see someone coming to attack the city, then say something. Announce it. Blow a trumpet and let the people in the city know that there's people coming with swords, that there's death approaching, and announce it to the city so that they have a chance to save themselves. They have a chance to hide. They have a chance to protect themselves. They have a chance to do whatever necessary to save themselves. And the story, the picture is this. If the watchman announces it, if the watchman blows the trumpet, if the watchman tells the people, listen, there is trouble coming, and they don't do anything about it, whose responsibility is that? It's their own, right? They're responsible for that. And that's that picture of your blood be on your own head. It's your responsibility. The watchman told you, someone told you that there was danger or, or death ahead and you didn't do anything about it. That's your own fault. Okay, and so that's the picture. It goes on and, and, and takes the other side of it though. But, verse 6, if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. The person that died, okay? The person that died, is he's taken away in his sin. It's still his sin. He died. But his blood and the guilt of his death is what it's saying. I will require at the watchman's hand. So it's this picture. You've got the watchman up there. If he sees that the sword is coming, if he sees that there's something coming and he decides to get occupied with his own affairs and, and he's busy doing this, he's watching TV or playing PlayStation or doing this or doing just hanging out with some buddies or whatever, and he doesn't tell them. He doesn't announce it. And people die. Yes, the people die in their own sins. But the watchman will be held responsible. The watchman will be guilty for not telling them that death was coming. Guys, it is a great picture of what we see in the life of Paul. It's a great picture of what we see in the life of, of believers, of followers of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be the watchman. That's the picture. We're supposed to be, like Paul, the watchman. In this case, Paul is the watchman, and he's told them. He's told them. He's told them. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. If they deny it, then it's not his fault. Because he's the watchman. He's been blowing the trumpet. He's been telling them, you need to do something to, to be saved. You need to do something to protect yourself from this impending doom that's ahead. And you need to treasure Christ. You need to trust in Christ. And so he's the watchman. And, and, and so his saying, your blood be on your own, it's just it's declaring, I'm not guilty. You're guilty. I'm innocent. You're guilty because you've heard the truth. You've heard the message. You've heard the announcement, and you didn't do anything about it. You just kept doing regular things, hoping that you wouldn't be one that was cut down. He says, I'm innocent. It goes on in, in uh, the passage in verse 7. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. I love that, right? So you got the Jews, they're pretty ticked off, right? He does this like shaking the dust off, and, and then he's like, your blood be on your own head. They knew what that meant. They would have been very familiar with this passage in Ezekiel, okay? They knew what he was saying there. They're pretty ticked off, and so he's like, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm going to the Gentiles, and he goes next door. And so he sets up, and now he's teaching there, right next door to the synagogue. And I just think, man, it had to be infuriating, right? They just had to be like, ah, oh, what are we going to do with Paul? And, 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 and so now he's teaching right next door. 
But it gets worse, right? It goes on in the next passage in verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Not a good season for the, the, the people of the synagogue. Those that were just like, we're not going to believe this. We're not going to follow it. We're not going to obey it. We're going to be angry and we're going to be against Paul and we're going to be against everything he says. And it's like everything's falling apart. Paul declares this denial to them of them. And now he moves next door. He sets up and he's preaching next door. And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, hears this message and believes. God opens his eyes and he trusts Christ. He believes Christ and accepts Christ and it says his whole household believed in Christ and is saved not a good day for the synagogue right I mean now they're ruler and and imagine the people imagine the people in Corinth as they're seeing and the people who go to the synagogue and they've they're hearing this message from Paul and they're probably asking what is this true is this what's going on and now the ruler of the synagogue the guy that we've followed he's saying this is the truth this is the Christ this is the one who was to come and and he's now following him. What do we do? And it says that many Corinthians also believe. And so all of these people are now coming to Christ, and, and including those who had completely opposed him, coming to know Christ. In verse 9, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is a great passage here, um, great section. Um, usually up to this point, what we've seen with Paul, um, if, if persecution came, um, if things got really difficult, if opposition came, uh, he would go to another city uh, and, and get up and, and, and go to another place. A lot of persecution came. Uh, he suffered a lot. Uh, but in this case, Jesus meets him in a vision in a dream or at night, in a vision at night. And he talks to him and he says something to him. He says a couple things to him. He says the first thing, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent. The next thing he says is, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So, so Jesus comes and he says, number one, don't be afraid. Keep speaking. Just keep talking. Keep telling people. Keep preaching. Keep speaking. Don't stop. Don't move on. Just keep speaking. Next, I am with you. Imagine the comfort that comes from that. Jesus, I am with you. And he says, uh, no one is going to harm you. That had to be somewhat new <laughs> and encouraging for Paul, right? No one's going to harm you and no one's going to attack you. Just keep on speaking. No one's going to harm you. No one's going to attack you. And then he finishes it up and he says, for, because, this is why I'm telling you this, I have many in the city who are my people. Now, what he's saying is, yes, there's some who have come to know you. There's some who have believed. There's some who have said, I believe in Christ. But there are more to come. There are more of my people here who are going to give their life to Christ. It's the same thing as in a few chapters before in, in Acts 13. In Acts 13, verse 48, it says, um, And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Jesus is 
In that case, he didn't say anything. In this case, Jesus is saying, listen, there are more. There are more people, my people, who are going to believe this message that you're bringing. And that's why I want you to keep telling the message. I want you to keep talking about it because there's more people that I'm saving in this place. Now, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture here of of God preparing Paul, right? There's a beautiful picture of God um, equipping Paul and encouraging Paul and, and really steadying Paul to keep him going in this place, right? But on top of all of that, his purpose and, 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 and the reason for saying that is because I'm going to save more people. I know who they are and they're going to believe and trust in me. It's this incredible picture of God's sovereignty, okay? And the reason I bring it up is because I think we get an incredible picture in this. And we've talked about the sovereignty of God in salvation so many times here, right? Um, and we're not going to go on, on a long sermon on that. But I think we see a lot about Paul and his understanding of God's sovereignty through this because just like Jesus said where Jesus said no one can come to me unless the father draws him they you can't just stumble onto me is what Jesus said you're not just going to be walking around walking along and oh Jesus I believe in Jesus unless the father draws that's what Jesus says unless the father draws no one can come to me And, and, and so what God is saying is I'm drawing more people here. I'm pulling more people here and they're going to believe in me. So keep, keep, keep talking. But here's the problem. When, when, when this discussion of is God sovereign over salvation, is he really in control of salvation? Is he really in control of the hearts of people? There, there's a discussion and a tension that definitely comes up in the midst of this. But one of the things that people walk away from that talk saying is, then why do I say anything? Then why do I need to tell, if God's in control of that, if Jesus is right and God really is the one that draws people and God really is the one that saved people, then why do I have to say anything? Why do I have to do anything? That doesn't make any sense. Why do I need to do something? And that's exactly what God has just said to Paul. I'm going to save people here. I will save, there are people here that are mine. They're mine. And there's nothing they can do about it. They are my people. That's what he calls them, my people. So teach them. Preach. And, and, and what it is, is it's, it's from Romans 10, where, where, where Paul, in his letter to Romans, he says, listen, there's, there's people that are going to believe, but how are they going to believe if no one tells them? How are they going to know if no one goes to them and tells them the wonderful, incredible news about Jesus Christ? And it's this incredible picture where God for some reason, uses people to be the watchmen from Ezekiel, to be the people who, who, who shout, this is truth, this is what's impending, this is what's coming, and unless you turn, unless you repent, unless you give your life to Christ, you're going to die. And, and God gives the incredible privilege of being that watchman to people. And he entrusts it to people. And Paul is, is a people. He's a person. And so instead of listening to God say, I have people here, Paul doesn't say, oh, good. Well, I'll just go to the next city. So I don't have to do anything else. I can quit my job. I'll go to the next city. Oh, I could take a break finally. This has been a hard, hard season. I'm going to get some rest. He doesn't do that. The next verse says, and he stayed a year and six months teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. Why? Because God's sovereignty and salvation does one thing. It brings hope. It brings hope to evangelism. 
Paul could go on teaching and preaching because there was actually hope. There was hope that if I tell this, people are going to believe. People are going to follow. People are going to trust Christ. They're going to believe as I talk because there's hope and salvation. How many of you have thought about telling someone about Jesus Christ? Maybe they asked. I mean, maybe they said, man, there is something different about you. You're weird. You're funny. You're happy. You're whatever it is. There's something different. What is it? And inside you're like, okay, this is my opportunity. This is like the Paul moment. I can say it. I can do it. I can. Ah, here it comes. Ah, and inside this one thing comes up. What if I blow it? What if I say something that's just I mess up? I'm not really good with my mouth. And what if I say something and they're like, oh, yeah, he's stupid. Like, I'm not going to do that. And what if I do something wrong? What if I mess up? What if I get nervous? What if I cry? What if I get so nervous I cry? What if I. And we go on all these excuses. I'm not going to talk, Lord, because I don't want to mess up your message. That's the hope of God's sovereignty. That it's not up to me. I'm the watchman. I have to open my mouth. I have to I have to know God's word. I have to study it. I have to I have to believe in him. I have to trust him. I have to I have to have a foundation through his word to know exactly what I'm talking about. But as the watchman, if I just talk, Jesus says, I have people in Columbus. I have people in Delaware. I have people in Lewis Center. I have people in Westerville. I have people in Dublin. I have people be the watchman, talk. And the hope is I'm in control of their decision, not you, not your words, not your, not your, you can't mess up what I want to do. You can't mess me up. You're just an instrument. I want to use you. And so talk about it and be the watchman and and if God chooses to use you to save a person, man, guess whose fault that is? God's, not yours. If you, if you memorize exactly what you're going to say and you say it in the exact right way, it doesn't mean anything. God's going to use it or he's not going to use it. And if he uses it, all the credit goes to God, not to you. And if he doesn't use it, do it again and do it again and do it again. Be the watchman. Man, the watchman doesn't stand up on top of the tower and and see the guy that didn't listen. He's like, forget it. I'm not going to do this anymore. That dude didn't even listen to me. He's going to get killed. I quit. I'm not watching out for anybody. Everyone else is hiding out. Everyone else is being saved. Everyone else is. But he looks at the one that didn't listen and he's like, forget it. This isn't worth it. I'm not. That's not what the watchman does. He just keeps telling. He keeps telling. There's danger. There's danger. There's danger. And. And in the case of, of, of us as watchmen, it's, and, and in the case of Paul, it's there's Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. You've got to look to Jesus. You've got to look to Jesus. That's Paul's life. That's how he lived. It goes on in verse uh, 12, 12 through 17. It says, but when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to, to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would, have re- I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. Pause there for just a second. What happens is they bring him in and, and, uh, and here's this, this guy, Gallio, who's, who's the proconsul. He's, he's kind of the judiciary guy, okay? Uh, bring him before Gallio and, and um, 
bring their case before him, and, and Paul's about to make a defense, right? And, and, and he's like, nah, this is, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to spend my time on this. This is, this is just words. Like, this is, uh, you're just not agreeing here. And so you deal with yourself. That's a huge moment, by the way, okay? Because if Gallio, in his mind, decides, I'm going to take care of this once and for all. We're going to cut this off. There's laws that then are probably written. There's decisions that are probably made that make it incredibly, incredibly difficult for the Christians at that, at that time, okay? And so it's, in, it's, it's, it's actually God, I think, working through this even to continue the message that's happening, the way that it's happening in this circumstance, okay? Uh, it doesn't always do it that way, right? We know that. Um, sometimes you, God uses um, incredible suffering to bring about the, the, the proclamation of the gospel. But it says in verse 16, and he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Uh, this guy Sosthenes um, was was a ruler of the synagogue, and and uh, at one, at some point accepts Christ. We know that from First Corinthians, Paul mentions him. We don't know when. We don't know if he has at this point or not. Um, we don't know if if this is before or after. If if he's already following Christ, then it we know why the, the, the Jewish people are ticked off at him and, and beating him. Otherwise, they're just mad because he ruined the case or, or, or they're blaming him for the case being thrown out or whatever. And so they beat him um, for this case not working out the way that um, they wanted it to. Uh, but at some point before or after this, um, he actually comes and, and, uh, and follows Christ as well. A couple things that, that I want to look at before we... We finish up here, and, uh, and really I want to look at Paul's circumstances today, um, going in to Corinth. And, and uh, I think if we read through this and, and, and aren't careful, um, Paul's pretty robotic. You know, I mean, it seems like he's always up, he's always like fired up, he's always like, yeah, let's preach, preach, preach. And Paul's human, too. At this point in, in, in his life, he's alone. Uh, there's probably some struggle going on with Paul. Uh, as he gets there because he's alone, he just left Athens and it wasn't like this fruitful uh, response. And, and he's, he's, he's human, okay? Um, and, and there's not much success to happen there. There's loneliness. But also Corinth was an incredibly wicked place. Incredibly wicked place. And, and I say all this, okay? I'm not just trying to say, hey, let's just pretend like Paul was struggling, okay? Uh, in the beginning of Corinthians, the passage that we read before, uh, when he writes to Corinth, he says, I came to you, in verse 3, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Um, there wasn't any imprisonment, there was no persecution in, in, like in other places, and so it's probable that, that he was struggling at this point, and, and not with his faith or anything like that, he's just lonely, or he's just beat, or he's just whatever, and and it could be that that at this point, maybe he's struggling with his emotions, depression, whatever, okay? But in some way, whatever he's saying in 1 Corinthians is, man, when I came to you, it was, it was difficult. Um, it was difficult in some way. And I want us to see through the passage, okay, and kind of boast in the Lord a little bit, um, how the Lord provides for him through this season, okay? Uh, because immediately after he gets there, the Lord does some things for him and in him, and and things to surround Paul, right? First thing that, that we see that he does is, is what? He provides friends. He comes alone. He provides friends for him. He provides um, this, this, this couple, this, this friends that are going to be friends forever. But he also provides uh, Silas and Timothy returning at this point, 
Uh, they didn't have cell phones. I don't know that, that Paul knew when they would be coming back, but I think it's, it's important to see that, that God provides these friendships at the right time and surrounds Paul at the right time in this ministry. And so he provides friends with him and brings encouragement through that. A couple other things um, that I love is, is this incredible um, picture of converts, how God just is doing amazing. I mean, this is a wicked, wicked city. And, and, and in the midst of that, not only are, are Corinthians coming to know the Lord, but the ruler of the synagogue and his whole family, the ruler of the synagogue, his whole family believe. And so what encouragement would come from that, right? What encouragement would come as, 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 as the watchman is kind of proclaiming and telling and telling and, and these people are responding. Can you imagine the encouragement for the watchman standing up on the wall, right? And he's watching and he's blowing the trumpet and he's seeing here comes the enemy here comes the enemy here comes the enemy and i'm blowing and i'm telling and i'm blowing and i'm telling and and i'm watching and these people are responding people are responding to what i'm saying people are listening and people are hiding people are getting saved people are protecting their families people are doing what i'm saying and they're not going to get killed by the enemies that are coming imagine the encouragement same with paul Man, he's, he's human, and he loves the Lord, and he loves the Lord so much that in difficult circumstances, even when things are difficult for him, what's he do? I love God, and I love people. I'm going to keep telling. I'm just going to keep talking, and I'm not, I'm, I've decided I'm not going to know anything except for Christ and him crucified. It's all I've got. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just going to keep doing this. And, and in the midst of that, God brings incredible encouragement through salvation, through people coming to know Christ. Verses 9 and 10, Christ speaks to him. There, there are like six times where, where, where Christ actually meets with Paul in a vision. This is one of those times. But imagine that. I mean, like, here's this, you're in a wicked, difficult place, and the Lord meets with you in this place and just says, listen, I'm with you. Just keep, just keep going. Just keep going. I am with you. And then he frustrates the enemies, right? Uh, We don't see this every time. I mean, you look through Acts, you don't see this every time. Verses 12 through 17 are somewhat unique for Paul, where he's brought before the the council, he's brought before the the, the judge, and, and, and he's let go. Not normally his story. He's normally beaten. He's normally... Uh, persecuted and or or stoned to to where to the point of death or, or whatever this is not usual and, and and more encouragement in his in his life and in his ministry through even being rescued and his and his enemies really being shut down in the midst of this it's just the grace of god just god's grace working in the life of paul and and i i bring that up because as we talk about the watchman as we talk about uh paul just deciding right deciding i'm not going to know anything except for christ and him crucified again it is so easy to see this as something that we read as something that is just this here's paul here's super paul you know he he rips off the clothes again there he is superman and he's doing all this stuff again it's so easy for paul it's so easy for paul i mean paul just he's just an animal it's easy to get stoned to death if you're paul it's easy to get beaten almost to death if you're paul it's just it's paul man we just trust in you paul it's paul it's just a guy the guy that jesus met and he fell in love he fell madly in love with him to the point where wherever he goes he just is like i've decided i'm not going to know anything except for christ 
to him crucified because he's everything to me. He's everything to me. And so if you beat me, if you persecute me, if you imprison me, if you, whatever it is, if you throw me out of your city, whatever it is, I just want you to know <laughs> Jesus. That's what I want. I love him and I love you and I'm not going to let you just, I'm not going to let the enemy attack you without saying something. I'm not going to let the, the enemy cross into your city and, and take you without saying something. If, when I leave you, my words are going to be able to be, your blood be on your head because I'm going to say something. It's, it's Christ and him crucified for me. It's love. It's love. And, and here's a human who suffers the same inwardly that we suffer. Here's a guy that, that, that it hurts when he gets beaten and it hurts when and he's cold and, and, and hungry when he's in prison. And yet he comes out of those circumstances saying, I have decided to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified. Guys, this is not something to read. It's something to live. It's something for us to, to, to just want and desire and then beg God, make me like this. It's, it's, it's what we talked about two weeks ago where, where Jesus says, if you believe in me, then out of your heart are going to flow rivers of water. This is what I think rivers of water flowing through a person look like. It's not pretty all the time. Really not pretty all the time. I mean, he's suffering a lot. He's persecuted a lot. Sometimes there's incredible encouragement from the Lord where he just lifts him up and, and, and sends him on his way and says, hey, I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. I'm right. Keep, keep talking. Keep doing what you're doing. I am with you, Paul. But it's a guy who's just madly in love with Jesus. And out of him is flowing rivers, rivers of water. I want to encourage and, and challenge you um, how we're doing with the watchman thing. Um, how am I doing? I, and and as, I, as I've studied and prepared for this this week, I, I have to ask myself, am, am I really the watchman? That, that passage is for us. I mean, the passage is for you and for me. We're, we're called to be watchmen. We're called to be people who, who are letting people know of what's coming. And more than that, letting people know that there's a Savior who will defend them to the end, and that no one can get past, and nothing can get past. And as I leave relationships in my life, as I leave people in my life, am I innocent? Am I the watchman that's innocent, and there's no guilt on me because I did everything I could, and I knew nothing except for Christ and Him crucified, and every relationship, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Or am I the guy up on the watchtower who's just kind of consumed with my own stuff and worried about my own things and worried about my own life and worried about making sure my affairs are in order and, and all of this? Or is it Jesus that's just living through me? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your amazing love. Jesus, thank you for your example, not just Paul's example of how to live this way. You lived this way. Every relationship was about you, was about your father, Thank you for Paul that shows us that when a man is absolutely consumed and in love with you, it makes a radical difference in their life. And Lord, I pray for that for myself. I pray that, that I don't just read about these guys, but that you transform me through your word. I pray that as a body that we would decide as your body to know nothing 
except for Christ and Him crucified. Lord, we, we need You. We need You, Jesus. We, we need You. If we try to do this ourselves, then we're going to fail. Um, we need You, Jesus, to live through us. And Jesus, we need again, we just, and we want these rivers of waters to just flow from us. We know that that's your Holy Spirit. I want to live that way. I want to be consumed with you. And I pray that for each one of us, Lord. Change our hearts, change our lives, and help us to stop looking at Scripture as just stories and amazing, cool things that you did. But let us surrender ourselves to you and, and give you more of ourselves and and watch as you use us as watchmen, as watchwomen, as people, Lord, who have decided to know nothing except for Christ and Him crucified. And, and you would allow us to continue to give you glory for the things that you're doing in and through us, Lord. Thank you for your power that's at work on our behalf, not our own power, for your power that's at work on our own behalf. And as you say in your word, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Thank you for that. Pray that you would work in us right now with that power and give us a desire for you like we never, ever had before. May we decide that whether it's at work or at home or parenting or being a husband or being a wife or in our neighborhood, jogging, whatever we do, Lord, that we would know nothing except for you, Jesus and you crucified. We love you. Father, we love you. We love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.